so we started with uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16 uh, yesterday, last week, and we also looked at Leviticus uh, 23 because those contain the seven feasts, and seven would have been too much to cover in one day, so we did the first uh, four feasts, and we'll continue with the remaining three uh, today. So, so as you said uh, last week, uh, the feasts that we see, they are historical uh, in the context of uh, when it was given to the Jewish people as a nation. But at the same time, we also see that the feasts are forward-looking, they are prophetic. And we saw that four of these feasts have already been fulfilled, and which gives us hope that the remaining three will also be fulfilled uh, in the days to come. And the same thing is true for the many of the prophecies that we see in the Bible. Uh, many of the prophecies have been fulfilled uh, over the years, uh, which gives us uh, added faith that the important prophecies like the rapture and the coming of Christ uh, will also be true in the days to come. And we also see that all of these feasts have application for us, uh, even today's, as we saw last week. And all of these feasts were instituted by God uh, for the Jewish nation, and they are called a holy convocation with God. So the main focus is God, uh, to commune with God and also to come together <coughs> Uh, with his people, <clears throat> we were said, we were told uh, they have to meet at an appointed time and at a chosen place. And this time, <clears throat> whether it is a day or a week or 10 days, uh, it is a time of worship and praise. It is a time of remembering and rejoicing. It is also a time of compassion and generosity. And we also see that uh, they don't do any work uh, during that time. So it is also a time of physical rest, and since you're in the presence of the Lord, uh, it is also a time of spiritual reunion, revival. So all of these feasts have been established uh, also as a way for the Jewish people uh, to come together as a nation so that they can retain the identity that they have as a peculiar people, as a chosen people, and they can also uphold the values uh, of the Jewish nation which has been passed on to them. So if they are scattered and if they don't take time to come together, uh, it's possible that they may forget uh, some of these practices or they may not give it the uh, importance that it deserves. So that is why they are asked uh, to come together as a nation. So there are seven feasts uh, which are listed in Leviticus uh, 23. And in Deuteronomy chapter 16 that we are covering, uh, it includes uh, five of the seven. But for the sake of completion, we are doing all seven of them. So we did four last week. We talked about the feast of the Passover, uh, which happened on the 14th day of the first month. And that speaks about the crucifixion of Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who became the lamb uh, who was sacrificed for all of our sins. So during the Passover time, the lamb was sacrificed and the blood was put on the doorpost uh, in the same way the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified so that we could be saved uh, from the consequence of sin, uh, which is death and separation from God. And the second feast was the feast of unleavened bread. So unleavened uh, speaks of no sin. And Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he was the only one without sin. So when he was uh, buried, uh, that speaks about uh, him being buried uh, without any sin, because uh, even in death, uh, his body was not a decade, and he committed his uh, spirit 
before he died. And then we spoke about the Feast of First Fruits, which is the third one, uh, which is celebrated on the seventh day, uh, on a Sunday. So it speaks about the first uh, fruit. And the first fruit in the context of prophecy would be Lord Jesus Christ. He himself was the first fruit uh, who was raised uh, from the dead, uh, never to die again. And then we came to the Feast of Weeks, or which is also the Pentecost, uh, which speaks about the 50th day uh, after Passover. So that was also the day when the Holy Spirit was given and the church was formed, when 3,000 souls were saved, as we read in the book of Acts. So today we'll cover the remaining three feasts, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And they cover a period of 22 days. And the previous four feasts, they cover a total of 50 days, so when we add them up, it comes to about 72 days uh, in a year. So almost 20% uh, of the year, uh, the nation of Israel, they are coming together, uh, focusing on God and coming together as a community to celebrate and looking back on all the good things that the Lord has done in their life. So even through these, uh, we are seeing that God wants them to keep their focus on him and also be one as a community. So the first four feasts, uh, they focus on the first coming of Lord Jesus Christ, and the remaining three feasts can be seen as focusing on the second coming of Lord Jesus Christ, uh, starting with the rapture. So we'll take a look at the three uh, feasts, which are seen as coming uh, during the fall season, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So we'll start with the first one, which is the Feast of Trumpets, which we also know as Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish uh, New Year. And if you look at the calendars, uh, it will happen on September 15th uh, this year. And as we said last week, uh, the dates tend to change because of the Jewish calendar. So Feast of Trumpets, uh, it is not listed uh, in Deuteronomy 16. Uh, but we read about it uh, in Leviticus uh, chapter 23, verse uh, 23 to 25. Yeah. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, uh, in the first day of the month, shall he have the Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Uh, he shall do no servile work therein, but he shall offer an offering. Uh, made by fire unto the Lord. So that's from Leviticus uh, 23, 23 to 25. And we also see that in Numbers uh, 29. But we see that unlike the other feasts, uh, the Feast of Trumpets uh, is not identified by that name, uh, although it is celebrated as a feast. But the term uh, Feast of Feast, Trumpets, uh, does not appear in the Bible. So we are told uh, when this feast is celebrated, uh, it is celebrated on the first day of the seventh month, which would be the new moon day. And this is the one day festival that is celebrated uh, on the first day of the month, uh, which would be called a new moon day. So the first day of the month, which would be a new moon, uh, the timing itself would be unknown when that will happen or when the new moon is going to come. And in the olden days, uh, the announcement of the new moon was made by uh, two witnesses uh, to the priests, and then it was passed on to others. But no one will know for sure 
uh, the exact timing of the new moon day. And today we also celebrate that as Rosh Hashanah, which also the head of the year. And Jewish people believe that is when God's creation began. So they celebrate that day. And in terms of why it is celebrated, uh, it recognizes the end of harvest. And the trumpet also indicates uh, that the nation uh, needs to get ready uh, to prepare for the Day of Atonement, uh, which is the next uh, feast. And it is also a time to get ready to uh, start making the journey uh, to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. And as we read, uh, during this time, no work uh, is done. Uh, they would blow the trumpet, and like other feasts, uh, they would offer uh, burnt offerings, meal offering, and also sin offering. So Feast of Trumpets uh, recognizes the end of harvest, and it also prepares the people uh, to get ready for the Day of Atonement, and also the celebration of Festival of Tabernacles. And in terms of uh, connecting this feast uh, to the prophecy of Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it could either relate to the rapture when the church is uh, taken up uh, before the great tribulation, or some would say that uh, it relates uh, to the second coming of Christ uh, after the end of the seven year tribulation. So either way it would work. So when we look at the sound of trumpets uh, in the scriptures, uh, the word trumpet uh, appears many times. Uh, for example, in Joel 2.1, uh, we see that it speaks about the second coming and the sinners are warned uh, in that passage where it says, blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord cometh for it is nigh at hand. Okay, and we can also see uh, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, uh, which also speaks about the second coming of the Lord, uh, when the remnant Jews are gathered back uh, so that they can uh, spend the millennium uh, kingdom with Lord Jesus Christ. So it says in tw Matthew 24, 31, and he shall send us angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect uh, from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. So we know that the Jewish people were scattered, but uh, at this point, when Lord Jesus Christ returns, uh, they would be gathered back. And again, that is accompanied by the great sound of the trumpet. And this is a familiar passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 16 to 17, where we see that the trumpet is sounded uh, to welcome the saints, uh, which is what we call the rapture of the church, uh, which takes place before the great uh, tribulation. So it says, for the Lord himself uh, shall descend from heaven uh, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ uh, shall rise first, then we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we see that the trump, trumpet is associated uh, with both the rapture and also the second coming. And when we get to the book of Revelation, we again see that trumpet uh, plays a role. Uh, as we read in Revelation uh, chapters 8 to 11, uh, it speaks about seven angels uh, with seven trumpets. And it speaks uh, specifically about the great uh, tribulation period. 
and it talks about different uh, events uh, that will unfold uh, during that time. And the last uh, trumpet is associated with the seventh uh, angel, uh, where it says the seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdom of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. So that would be the beginning of the millennium period when Jesus Christ returns uh, the second time. So we can see that the trumpets, the interpretation of the trumpets uh, could be either associated with the rapture or it could also be associated with the second coming of Christ when the elect or the tribulation uh, Jewish people who are saved uh, during tribulation, uh, they begin to enjoy uh, the millennium period along with others. And the very first uh, reference of trumpet uh, is actually associated with the giving of the laws uh, that we read in Exodus chapter 19, verse 19 and 20. It says, and when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, uh, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice and it goes on. So we see that the trumpet uh, plays a very important role in the scriptures and it is associated with the voice of the Lord. It is also associated with the voice of warning uh, for sinners and it is also associated with the voice of welcome uh, to the saints. And in 1 Corinthians, uh, we see an interesting verse uh, where Paul talks about uh, trumpets that do not have any power. And if you heard a trumpet, we know that they are very powerful. Uh, they make a big sound. But uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks about if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, uh, who shall prepare himself uh, to the battle? So one way to interpret this would be when the message uh, is not very clear, uh, either from a Christian or from a church, then no one is really prepared uh, for the battle because they're not really sure uh, what they are hearing. So we can also see this as false teachings uh, that takes place uh, even within a church where people are not really warned uh, about their sins or they're not really uh, given the message of the gospel. So the trumpet itself uh, is powerless uh, either to warn people or to encourage them or to convict them of their sins. And the next one uh, is the Day of Atonement, uh, which is also we celebrate, uh, the Jewish people celebrate even today as Yom Kippur, uh, which this year happens to be on September 25th. Yeah, so that is the Day of uh, Atonement, which is a very solemn day where you're atoning before the Lord, your God. And we are also told that a soul that does not afflict on the same day uh, shall be cut off from among the people. So we see that when God is giving commandments, uh, he's very serious that the commandments uh, should be obeyed. And if they are not obeyed, then there are consequences as we have seen uh, throughout the book of Deuteronomy. So these are not just laws uh, that are given so that people can uh, listen and forget about it. And if they choose to forget, then obviously there would be a consequence. So this Day of Atonement uh, happens on the 10th day of the seventh month. And the reason is to atone uh, for their sins. And we know from the scriptures that the priest, uh, they enter the Holy of Holies uh, once a year. So this would be that occasion where they are entering the Holy of Holies. But even the priests uh, themselves 
they would have committed sins or they might have disobeyed in different ways. So before they enter the Holy of Holies, uh, they would sacrifice a bull and they would take the blood and they will sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant. And that will ensure that the priest is cleansed and then they can enter into the Holy of Holies. So obviously that is different from Lord Jesus Christ uh, who doesn't uh, need to make that sacrifice. So that is why he's a better high priest because he is sinless and he doesn't need to do that, take that step before doing it. And we also read that there are two goats. Uh, there is one that is sacrificed uh, for the sins of the people and the blood is sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. So once the priest has received the cleansing, uh, they will take two goats, uh, one for the sac uh, to sacrifice for on behalf of the people and the other goat, uh, which we often call as a scapegoat, uh, that is released. And it is symbolic that the goat is carrying all the sins uh, that were pleaded for. So even as it says in Psalm 103 and verse 12, that he has removed our sins as far as east is uh, from the west. So the goat running away uh, is a symbolic of the sin is being taken away to a distant place and they don't need to worry about it anymore. So this would be a solemn time when Jews uh, will seek uh, repentance uh, during the seven days uh, that follows uh, the Feast of Trumpets. So that is the Day of Atonement. So when we connect the Day of Atonement uh, to the prophecy or Lord Jesus Christ, so if we say that the Feast of Trumpets uh, refers uh, to the rapture of church, then the Day of Atonement uh, would be the period of great tribulation, uh, during which time uh, many Jews will repent and they would be saved. So that could be considered as a Day of Atonement that extends uh, into seven years when people are saved uh, by putting their faith in Christ. So even during the time, as we saw during the book of Daniel, that people are being saved uh, during the tribulation time, and then they are gathered and they are able to enjoy the thousand year rule. So even today, we know that repentance uh, is needed uh, in order to be saved. And that is the message of the gospel that except we repent, uh, we will perish. So that is what Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 13, five, uh, unless we repent, uh, we will perish and we will not enter uh, into the kingdom of God. And the same thing was true for the Jewish people when they were going through the tribulation. Uh, those who repented, they were able to enjoy the thousand-year rule and for all of eternity, and everyone else would perish, and they would be resurrected at the second uh, resurrection. So in terms of timing, we know that the rapture of church uh, is followed by the seven-year tribulation. So that would be the period of Day of Atonement if we think or if we assume uh, that the Feast of Trumpet refers to the rapture of church. And the last one uh, is the Feast of Tabernacles, or we also call it the Feast of Booths, or what we call Sukkot, uh, and which is celebrated by the Jewish people uh, even today. And uh, this year it happens to fall from September 29th to October 6th. Okay, so we can see that this is the last feast, and it is also a feast that is characterized by a great uh, celebration, and it is also a time when everyone is coming together. 
and they're also dwelling in tents or booths uh, for seven days uh, as a way to remember what happened in the past. So this feast is being celebrated on the 15th day of seventh month, and that would also coincide with the end of harvest uh, for wheat and grapes. So we saw that the, the feast uh, began with the harvest season of barley, and it's ending with the uh, harvest season of wheat and grapes. And this is a celebration that goes on for a week uh, to recognize uh, God's continued faithfulness uh, in their life and God's faithfulness in providing for their needs, and also to reflect uh, on the time when they were taken out of Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness, uh, they dwelt in tents. So it was a reminder uh, also of that period when God was faithful to them. So they celebrate this by leaving their homes and living in tents or booths. And we see that the first day is a Sabbath, then there are lots of sacrifices and offerings, and it ends on the eighth day again with some uh, Sabbath and worship. And it is a time of rejoicing with everyone. So here it speaks about uh, rejoicing with your son, your daughter, your servant, Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow that are within thy gates. And in terms of timing of the Feast of Tabernacles, it's uh, interesting that the Temple of Solomon was dedicated uh, at this time. And also when we come to that, we read in 1 Kings 8-2. And we also see uh, when we come to the New Testament, uh, we see Lord Jesus Christ uh, on John 7, 37-39. It says, uh, in the last day, the great day of the feast. So it's speaking about the feast. Uh, of tabernacles where Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come and me and drink. So we saw that the feast of Passover was the time uh, when Lord Jesus Christ uh, was crucified. Uh, the feast of first fruits was when Jesus uh, arose uh, from the dead. And again, we see that uh, Jesus is also honoring uh, some of the feasts that were kept in the Old Testament and obviously, on that day, uh, he is making that statement, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, which obviously speaks uh, about the Holy Spirit, uh, which they would be receiving on the day of the Pentecost, uh, which was 50 days after the Passover. So when we connect this uh, to Lord Jesus Christ, uh, again, we see that uh, it's, uh, it's a great uh, connection, and it also speaks of the glorious uh, ending that will take place uh, sometime in the future. So we know that Lord Jesus Christ will return, uh, which would be his second coming. So the first coming would be at the time of rapture, where he meets uh, the church uh, in the air, then after that, we have the seven-year tribulation. Then Lord Jesus Christ returns uh, the second time. And during that time, he will establish his kingdom on this earth. He will gather all the Jewish people uh, who have been saved from different corners. And he would establish the 1,000-year rule, which we read in Revelation 20, 4 and 6. And also, as we continue with the book of Revelation, we see that uh, in heaven... <coughs> There will be no temple, uh, there would be no sun, 
God will be the focus uh, in heaven and he will dwell among his people uh, in the new Jerusalem. So the Bible ends uh, where it started in the book of Genesis, where God dwelt uh, with Adam and Eve. So that is where the whole relationship started. And it uh, beautifully ends in the book of Revelation, where God is again present uh, among his people. And all the arrangements that we see between Genesis and Revelation, uh, all of them are temporary. So we talked about the Ark of the Covenant. We talked about the tabernacle. Uh, we saw the temple. All of those are <coughs> uh, temporary structures uh, that simply remind us that a day is coming when we would be <coughs> uh, back in the Garden of Eden, so to speak, where we would be present uh, in the presence of God. So in Revelation uh, 21, verse 3, uh, 22, and 23, we saw that the first four feasts, uh, which also connected to the prophecy, uh, all of them have been fulfilled. And this is what uh, we have to look forward to, which is a glorious uh, ending for all believers when we would be in the presence of God forever. So we see that uh, the focus is on worship. And the worship is never about a physical place, uh, whether it's a tabernacle or whether it's a temple or it's a church building. But the focus is always on the person, which is Lord Jesus Christ. And obviously, uh, only if we have a relationship with Christ, uh, we will be able to worship him in spirit and in truth uh, today and also in his presence uh, in the days to come. So we need to be prepared uh, for that day when he would return and take his church, and we should be prepared for that day uh, when we will be with him for all of eternity. So we should not get uh, too obsessed with how the church looks or how the tabernacle looks or how the temple looks. So a lot of times uh, there is a lot of focus uh, among people to build the physical building, and a lot of attention is paid to make sure that the building is great and looking good. But if the person is missing in that building, or if the Ark of the Covenant uh, is missing in the tabernacle, then obviously that structure has no meaning. Uh, it is not going to give life uh, to people. Uh, in the same way, if the Lord is missing in our life, if Lord is missing in our churches, then obviously it is simply a structure with no life and no purpose. So as we wrap up, uh, we see that there are seven feasts uh, which are associated with different prophecies. So we saw the first one, which is uh, Passover, uh, which speaks about the crucifixion of Lord Jesus Christ uh, on the cross. So just like the blood was shed uh, during Passover when uh, Israelites were fleeing from Egypt, uh, in the same way Lord Jesus Christ uh, shed his blood on the cross so that we could be saved uh, from death. And the second one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, which speaks about Lord Jesus Christ uh, being buried as the sinless uh, person. So he was the only one uh, without sin. And even in his death and burial, uh, he did not see corruption, as the psalmist says, and his body did not see decay. And we, the third one is the Feast of First Fruits, uh, which speaks about Lord Jesus Christ as the very first person uh, to be resurrected from the dead. And that gives us the hope. So just like uh, he rose from the dead, we also would rise uh, from the dead. So the Feast of First Fruits uh, speaks about a greater harvest 
uh, that will come. And we see the first uh, example in the Feast of Pentecost uh, when 3,000 souls were saved. So that is also an indication of the fruit, indication of the harvest. And at that time, the Holy Spirit uh, descended and the church was formed. And the Feast of Trumpets, uh, as we said, it could be interpreted uh, as the rapture of church. It could be timed there, or it could uh, relate to the second coming of Christ uh, when the Jewish people uh, or the remnant Jews are gathered uh, to enjoy the 1,000-year rule. And the Day of uh, Atonement, uh, it could be the period of repentance uh, during the tribulation time uh, when some of them would turn to Christ and those would be the remnant. And the last one would be the Feast of Tabernacles, which again speaks about the millennial reign uh, with Christ for 1,000 years. And when we go to the book of Hebrews, uh, we're not going to read, but uh, it speaks about Lord Jesus Christ uh, as a superior high priest and a superior mediator. So we don't need the blood of lambs and bulls and things like that, uh, because Lord Jesus Christ uh, is a high priest who is superior and who is able to intercede for us and whose blood uh, gives us the boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies. So the question we often have is, do we need to observe the feast? And as we said before, that these feasts were instituted, instituted by God uh, for Jews. Uh, they are not meant for New Testament believers. So we don't have to observe the feast. But at the same time, we should not condemn anyone uh, if they are observing holy days, like if they are keeping Sabbath, and if they believe in it, then there is no reason for us uh, to condemn them or to judge them. So, but Paul makes it very clear in Colossians uh, chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, uh, where he says, But now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turny again to weak and beggarly elements, uh, wherein to ye desire again uh, to be in bondage, ye observe days, months, times, and years. So Paul is making the connection that all of these are simply uh, traditions uh, that don't really lead to liberty or freedom. Uh, it actually keeps us in bondage when we try to observe all the laws. Instead of that, uh, we can find freedom in Christ, uh, which is the message of the gospel, that the Lord Jesus Christ has fully paid the price, and we can enjoy the freedom, and Christ has fulfilled all the laws so that we don't have to. So when we observe something without understanding, uh, it becomes a tradition. Uh, it is not a testimony. So there are many things that we keep doing uh, just by habit. Uh, so that is simply a tradition, but what the Lord is looking for is a testimony uh, that is based on understanding and that is based on true experience. So when we look at these feasts, uh, we see that the feasts uh, reveal the master plan of God uh, right from the times of Adam and Eve, uh, where the first uh, sacrifice was made. And it takes us uh, through the cross and it takes us uh, all the way to eternity. And it also gives us hope since the first four feasts or the or first four prophecies uh, associated with the first four feasts were fulfilled, uh, we have the hope uh, that the other remaining prophecies, uh, they also would be fulfilled. 
And we also see that the feasts uh, tell us uh, how the Old Testament uh, points to Lord Jesus Christ. And the feasts also demonstrate uh, that Bible has a consistent message uh, going from Genesis uh, to Revelation. So as we saw in Genesis, uh, God wanted to have communion uh, with Adam and Eve. And throughout the Bible, that is the theme that God wants to commune uh, with his people. And it comes to reality at the very end, uh, where God's people are able to enjoy uh, eternity uh, in God's presence. Okay, so here uh, we are wrapping up the seven feasts, and we are told that three times a year, uh, the Jewish people, they will appear before God uh, at the place uh, which he has chosen, uh, which was Shiloh, when they came uh, into the promised land. And they are to appear before God, and they should not appear empty. So they should come and give uh, according to as much as they are able and in proportion to God's blessing. And even today, that is God's expectation, uh, to whom much is given, much is expected. And uh, in the way God has blessed us uh, through various gifts and talents and other things, uh, that is how we serve the Lord uh, based on what he has blessed us with. And lastly, in verse 18 and 19, it speaks about, uh, there's a shift in focus uh, it speaks about judges and officers, and it says, Judges and officers shall make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with the just uh, judgment. Uh, so it speaks about uh, how the law and order would be uh, maintained and exercised. And it speaks about judges and officers, that they should judge uh, justly, uh, they should not be biased, and they should not take bribes. And obviously, these principles uh, can be applied even today. Uh, when we go to the court, we expect a judge uh, to be just, uh, to make decisions uh, based on facts and not based on opinions or based on personal bias. And we also see there is much uh, corruption in the courts. So even in the Old Testament, uh, God is telling them that if you take bribe, then obviously you would be uh, you would be biased in the way you make your decision. For it says a gift that blind the eyes of the wise, and we know that even today that is true. Uh, those who take gifts as a corruption, uh, their eyes are blinded; they are not able to think straight, and they end up making the wrong decision. And it, the chapter closes in verse twenty through twenty-two. Uh, with the reminder again that we should not make uh, any idols uh, because God hates them. So, so that's the theme that we have seen throughout the book of Deuteronomy, that the idol worship uh, is not to be practiced. It should not be encouraged. And if there are any idols uh, in our life, uh, they should be destroyed before we come into God's presence or if we want to enjoy God's blessings then any idols that we have in our life should be put to death. So we'll close here uh, with chapter 16, which uh, told us about the seven feasts, uh, how it applies uh, to the present, and also how it applies uh, to the future, and how all of this uh, comes together uh, to give us a better worship experience where we are able to come together to rejoice and to celebrate uh, as a corporate body.